0: You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's amazing how much more fun this game can be. When the ball actually goes through the basket. With that, welcome in to finally another positive post-game episode of Locked on Rockets, your home for daily podcast commentary, and sometimes twice daily, on all things Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship in Houston. The Rockets fatigued a little bit towards the end, scoring just 13 points in the fourth quarter of Sunday's 115-103 win. It didn't matter much because they were so brilliant in the first three quarters, putting up 102 points through three, 76 points in just the first half in a double-digit win against the Indiana Pacers. The win improves the Rockets to 5-7 and seven on the year, drops the Pacers to 8-6. and six. The Pacers entered on a five-game road winning streak, so they had a bit of a regression to the mean. The Rockets, thankfully finally had their progression to the mean, especially in terms of their three-point shooting. The Rockets making 20 overall. A night after shooting just 22% from distance. The Rockets finally broke out, hit 20 of 47, and even that percentage is a little bit below what it felt like because a lot of their misses came in garbage time when it was largely over. The Rockets, in that 76-point first half, hit 14 of 22, nearly 64%. James Harden led the way. 40 points, 9 assists, 9 of 20 from the field, 8 of 18 from 3. And night after he went 1 of 13, he bounced back to 8 of 18. Chris Paul, who before last night actually made two of his three three-pointers in San Antonio, he was 0 of 13 in his prior three games. Chris bounced back with 26 points, made five of his eight threes, 8 of 13 overall, also had five assists, so James Harden and Chris Paul combined. Between them, 66 points, 14 assists, 12 rebounds. Yeah, that will absolutely play. It was a long day for the Rockets on a lot of levels. It was their third game in four nights, their second in two nights after playing against the Spurs, the loss on Saturday night. And in addition to all the games piling up, the physical mileage, there's also the what's going on with Carmelo Anthony questions. The day started earlier than usual because Daryl Morey had an unscripted meeting with the media. It wasn't planned, and that in and of itself said a lot, in which we didn't get too much clarity on Carmelo Anthony's situation. We know the Rockets are having conversations with him about lessening his role. Will he stay with the team or not? Is this a prelude to his departure? We'll have to wait and see. More on that in the third and final segment of our three-points recap because, well, if you've listened to the post-game Saturday show, we already addressed the Carmelo situation to some degree, and I don't think the dynamics are really that different. I think the strong suspicion I get is that whether he remains with the Rockets, the ball is in Melo's court, but more on that later. The bottom line is for the Rockets as a team, between just the physical mileage, minutes piling up, back-to-back, and then going up against a quality Indiana team. By the way, the Pacers, they're 8-6, and but now they're 0-2 against the Rockets. That means they're 8-4 and against the rest of the league. So yeah, that's a very quality opponent. And for the Rockets to not just win, but win by double digits, even with a fourth quarter with all the physical things piling up, only having 13 points appearing to run out of gas, it speaks to just how well the Rockets played tonight. And what was different? Honestly, just that the ball went through the bucket, primarily for James Harden and Chris Paul. Now, they did get 33 big minutes off the bench from undrafted rookie Gary Clark, who is not just pushing Carmelo Anthony for minutes, but also even James Ennis, Gerald Green, although Gerald sat out tonight with that ankle spray that he suffered in San Antonio. We'll talk more about Gary in the second segment of our three-points recap, but... To me, the far and away leading storyline is the bounce back of James Harden and Chris Paul, because as I said earlier today, our first of two episodes today, it's been so busy, but generally speaking, the Rockets are going to go as their stars can take them. And James Harden and Chris Paul, they're supposed to be two top 10 players, James Harden, the reigning MVP of the league. If they don't play to their potential, and they all largely disappointed Saturday night in San Antonio and Thursday night in Oklahoma City then ultimately it doesn't matter what the role players do. And that's why it's such a shame that you've seen a lot of the blame either put onto Carmelo Anthony or onto Gerald Morey for the offseason departures of Trevor Ariza and Luke Bamute. Look, I don't care who the role players are. If Chris Paul, who... Went through four straight games after his 32 11 game in Brooklyn. He went through four straight games, shooting 36% or worse from the field, not from three, but the field overall. The first three of them, he was 0 of 13. Then you had James Harden, who shot just 1 of 13 behind the arc last night, 7 of 27 overall, and entering tonight was just 30 of 62, about 50% on shots at the rim when he's consistently been well above 60% when he's been in peak form. So they've missed layups. They've missed threes, and ultimately, if you're stars, the guys getting paid between Chris Paul, James Harden, and Eric Gordon, they're getting paid about $80 million combined this season, and much more than that in future seasons, especially if they retain Gordon. Well, they've got to carry their weight. Finally, at least two of the three, Chris Paul and James Harden, mentioned a combined 66 points, 14 assists, 12 rebounds, did their thing. Eric Gordon still struggling a little bit, 31 minutes. Nine points, but shot just three of 14 from the field, two of nine from three. But again, it's amazing. If you get those other guys playing well, then that buys players such as Eric Gordon time to get their footing. And it's worth noting that Eric Gordon missed three games with a sore leg, and now he's being asked to play two games in barely over 24 hours. Yeah, maybe the mileage affects him more than anyone else coming off an injury that kind of zapped his quickness, his burst, if you will. He does need to get better, but the easiest way to work on your shortcomings is if the team is succeeding. If the team is not succeeding, then the shortcomings become all the more glaring, and that's when you can sometimes get into a spiraling effect. Fortunately, at least for now... The Rockets are not in any sort of spiral because with this win, they've now won four of their last six games. I know it doesn't feel like it after what happened in Oklahoma City and San Antonio, but coming off the 1-5 start, if you had said back then that the Rockets would be 5-7 and seven after 12 games, I think most of us would have taken that. Now, it does get harder in the days ahead at Denver on Tuesday and then a visit from the defending champion Golden State Warriors on Thursday, but one game at a time. At this point, the Rockets just need to get wins however they come, work on their flaws after that, and hopefully with a practice Monday, they'll be able to... End- integrate some of the new pieces, the new rotations a little bit more before Tuesday night's game against the Denver Nuggets. And a Denver Nuggets team has actually been a little leaky lately, especially defensively. So maybe the Rockets can, led by Clint Capella against Jokic, take some advantage of the Nuggets and their growing defensive deficiencies. As far as what happened in the 12-point win against the Pacers, to me, the biggest thing is the Rockets made their shots. Now, the defense, I did think... It it snapped the string of four consecutive games in which the Rockets held opponents below 100 points, but the Pacers barely broke 100 at 103. Largely, they played very well. I thought Harden, in particular, actually did a very good job on Victor Oladipo, who had 22, 10, and 7, did so on a very inefficient 7 of 24 from the field. If James Harden is doing his part defensively, it's amazing how everything else is going to fall into line. When your leader is setting that tone, and when you're not having to help him as much as sometimes happens, especially when he's not in peak physical form coming off the hamstring injury, then yeah, it's amazing what that does for the remainder of the defense. And then when you can throw Gary Clark out there for 33 minutes, it just continues to amaze how much an undrafted rookie, even in just his first 10 games or so in the NBA, can make so much of a difference. But more on him in a few minutes. As far as what's different for the Rockets, it's largely that Chris Paul and James Harden saw the ball go through the bucket. What's different Sunday night rather than Saturday night? Honestly, not that much, and that's why the Rockets, after Saturday's game, they really didn't sound that discouraged. They liked the ball movement, they liked the defense, they liked the shots that they got, they liked a lot of things, just unfortunately the ball didn't go through the rim. Well, on Sunday, it did. Maybe the friendly confines of Toyota Center helped with it. It is worth noting that last year, both of the Rockets games in San Antonio were ugly slugfests, so maybe they just don't see it well, depth perception in that arena, Whatever the case may be, the ball went through the net on Sunday, and it's amazing how everything else around the Rockets picked up. The best takeaways that I had were that Chris Paul and James Harden looked healthy. I'll start with Harden, who had 40 points, because you'll look at the 40 points, and yeah, 24 of them came on his 8 threes, which he made on 18 attempts, but he also got to the line 15 times and made 14 of them, and what that tells you was that he was very aggressive attacking the rim. Now, technically, he only had two official shot attempts inside the arc, and that's largely because he was fouled. And unless you make them, those just don't count. So one of two, it doesn't seem like anything to write home about. But when he got to the line 15 times, it seemed like a much bouncier James Harden. And I think the reason we've seen Harden struggle to some degree. Now, before last night, he was actually at 41% uh, shooting from three, so it wasn't until last night that we saw a big drop-off from him as far as his three-point shooting. But the reason I think he's been a little bit underwhelming as a scorer this year and turnover-prone, to be fair, he did have nine turnovers on Sunday as well, but I don't think it was necessarily injury-related. I think some of it was just uh, trying a few too many, especially early in the game, home-run type passes. He did clean that up as the game moved along. Generally speaking, though, I think the common thread between his struggles at the rim and some of the turnovers, coming off the hamstring injury, and then even before that, when we knew the hamstring was a little tender, I don't think he's had his usual level of explosion off the bounce. That's the James Harden when he is at his best. Tonight, we saw he got to the line 15 times. He tried to throw down a couple of hammer dunks in traffic. That's not something you do if you're not trusting your hamstring. To me, especially in the first four games that he's played coming off the shelf, he looked a little tentative. He wasn't elevating with as much authority, and with that, the angles on some of those layups are a little thrown off compared to what he's used to releasing them at because he's not getting as high. He's also a little more predictable to opposing defenders because he doesn't make them wait as long. He doesn't hang in the air as much and thus force them to commit. So in my opinion, with James Harden, I do think there's a correlation to the hamstring issue. I don't think he's been quite as explosive off the bounce. Well, tonight, beyond just making threes, which always helps, I thought he looked a lot more assertive on the drives. He looked a lot healthier. He looked a lot springier. And if that happens, then ultimately he's going to find the touch on his drives and his layups. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Chris Paul, somewhat of a similar story, although it's not the legs with Chris, it's his arm. And the really telling thing, I mentioned the ghastly numbers coming off the 32-11 game in Brooklyn, next four games below 36%. That was his best showing, and some of them he was below 30%, and even worse than that from three, the first three games, 0 of 13. And then last night, he made his first two threes, then he only took one the rest of the way. And then the first three games before that, he was scoreless in each of the first halves, And it wasn't like he was going to 0 of 10 in each of them. It was like he was shooting three or four times. Generally speaking, he was very tentative, and be it physical. We've talked about the wraps that people have seen on his shooting elbow. Maybe it's metal. Maybe it's mechanical. But whatever the case may be, it wasn't just like, well, all of a sudden, he's missing shots that he otherwise is expected to make. No, the truth is he largely wasn't taking as many shots, period. Now, yes, he did miss some shots that you would like to see go in, but you could see that it was affecting in other areas. His confidence wasn't all the way there, and that's why I, I don't really buy so much the aging explanation, because you typically don't fall off a cliff where you, you have that much of a dramatic fall-off, not just on layups, but on threes, on free throws across the way, be it physical, middle, mechanical, a combination of the three. There's some sort of confidence angle tonight. Well, to see Chris go out there, shoot it 13 times, fire up eight threes, including a dagger three before the first half buzzer that put the Rockets up 24 That's the confident and assertive Chris Paul that he is when he's at his best, when he has his swag, as we saw late in the Utah series and really the entire Golden State series until his unfortunate hamstring injury at the end of Game 5 of the Western Conference Finals. The rap is off his arm. He seems confident again. I know it's one game, but this was the Chris Paul that we saw in Staples Center against the Lakers. This was the guy who brought home the win to snap that ugly losing streak when the Rockets were in Brooklyn just nine days ago. And this is the crisp ball that the Rockets need to right the ship. And ultimately, even though they're just 5-7 and now, this is the type of game winning by double digits against a quality team in the Indiana Pacers that reminds you just how capable the Rockets are. Have they solved their issues with one game? No. But once in a while, the Rockets, the first three games of this 4-6 and stretch that they've won... They got wins, but they were relatively nondescript. They didn't really look like themselves in terms of the level of dominance. They scraped by. They did what it took to survive. This was the first time they looked like the 65-win juggernaut from a year ago, and that's important. It doesn't mean that everything is fixed immediately. The next two games at Denver, home versus Golden State, are going to be a lot tougher. But once in a while, you don't need to just get wins. You need to get wins that make you feel good, that make you believe. For one night at least, that's what the Rockets got. 115-103 winners over the Pacers in the game that had so many fireworks. Harden and Paul, 66 points, 14 assists, 12 rebounds, 76 points for the team in just the first half. So for one night at least, enjoy it. Your 2018-2019 Rockets finally look like the 2017-2018 Rockets. Another reason the Rockets on Sunday night and their 115-103 win over the Pacers looked like the Rockets from a year ago is the 33 minutes you got off the bench from Gary Clark. You're starting to see when Clark plays more minutes, and he's honestly a big part of the calculus for why the Rockets are having conversations with Carmelo Anthony on his role, but it's not just that he's outplaying Carmelo Anthony. He's outplaying Gerald Green, who was out tonight with a sprained ankle anyway, and he's even outplaying James Ennis. The minutes don't lie. Gary Clark played 33 minutes off the bench. James Ennis, who started, played just 22 minutes. Last night in San Antonio, James Ennis started but played just 19 minutes off the bench. Gary Clark played 24. Now, it wasn't a flawless performance for Gary. He was one of four from three. He does need to continue to refine that stroke, although he did make two of his three in San Antonio. So it's not like he's in a, a deep funk. But other than that, he had 8 rebounds, 4 on offense, plus 16 in his 33 minutes. The only guy who was better than that was P.J. Tucker, who started, played a game-high 40 minutes, because that's what P.J. does, and was plus 20. But with Gary Clark, he almost reminds me, now of course he's a 3-4, slash but he gives me some serious Chuck Hayes flashbacks in terms of how well he sees and feels the game. It's just uncanny. The sequence... And the assist actually didn't count. He had one assist, one steal, one block. The sequence that was quintessential Gary Clark to me, there was a play in which he got an offensive rebound in the third quarter, and immediately, somehow out of the corner of his eye, saw P.J. Tucker in the corner, which is his sweet spot, open for three, and P.J. swished it. Unfortunately, his back heel was out of bounds, according to the officials, so uh, the shot didn't count. But Clark is just so aware. He's a good defender. He's fairly long. I know he's just six foot seven, but he has a pretty good wingspan. He's instinctive. But beyond that, he just has such a great feel for the game. He doesn't really do a lot in terms of creating his own offense. But when you have Chris Paul, James Harden, Eric Gordon out there, you don't need creators. You need guys who can make plays off the ball. And he's just... So sharp in his decision-making, again, not just with the ball, but in terms of when he sets the screens, how he rolls. Even though he's an undrafted rookie, you can tell he played four years of high-level college basketball at Cincinnati. He's a guy who feels like he's played for a long time. And is there going to be some seasoning? Sure. Even though I think he's a good one-on-one defender, if you stick him out there against Kevin Durant or any of the star Warriors players on Thursday, is he likely to look silly a few times? Sure. That's part of the maturation process for any young defender in the NBA, because part of it, becoming a great defender, is just based on experience, having been there, done that, learning tendencies. But the toolbox for Gary Clark, not just physically, but mentally as well, it's incredible that the Rockets were able to get this in an undrafted rookie. Now, he's still on a two-way contract, but in my opinion, it's a matter of when, not if, when they convert that to a regular deal. Now, they do have an open roster spot now. They could create another one, either via the Carmelo Anthony move or letting go of Michael Carter-Williams, who doesn't have a fully guaranteed deal. But either way, no matter how they do it, it's a matter of time. Gary Clark is here to stay, and it's a small sample, but actually, Gary Clark has had better numbers with the core four in the starting lineup, that being James Harden, Chris Paul, Clint Capella, P.J. Tucker, the grouping of those four with Gary Clark has significantly outperformed the grouping of those four with James Ennis. And you could actually mount a case that James Ennis, where his deficiencies seem to be, he plays with a lot of energy, he gets the Rockets a lot of effort points, he gets them out in transition. These are useful skills. But defensively, he's a little too... uh, home run prone, I would say, in that he tries, he gets victimized by trying to make the big steal, the perfect read, and sometimes gets beaten backdoor. He's not as steady, even though Gary Clark is an undrafted rookie, there's a certain steadying presence to him that is not there with James Ennis that might play better with the starters. And also, James Ennis, if he's going to play out with the, you know, kind of Corey Brewer reckless abandon, I laughed when my Twitter followers, at Ben DuBose, replied to me tonight by calling uh, James Ennis a decaffeinated Corey Brewer. And I laughed, and that's not meant to be an insult, because, of course, Corey Brewer, when he was younger, 2014-2015, his first year, he was a key difference maker for the Rockets, and maybe that's ultimately the role for James Ennis. I don't think the Rockets are married by any stretch of the imagination to the idea of James Ennis as the starting three. Keep in mind, we went into camp with Eric Gordon, it seemed like, as the slight favorite over James Ennis to be the starting three. So it's not like Ennis is entrenched in that spot, but regardless, when it comes to the Rockets recapturing their form a year ago, and that's what we finished off the first segment discussing while I think a lot of the concerns early in the early going have been too much about Trevor Ariza and Luke Bamute, generally speaking, the Rockets didn't go from a historically elite offense to a bottom 3-1 in most of the league's major categories entering Sunday night just because they lost Trevor Ariza and Luke Bamute. Those are defensive-minded players. Generally, the story has been that just inexplicable offensive fall off and that's Chris Paul, James Harden, Eric Gordon... Largely due to their own disappointing performances, partially due to injuries and suspensions, not giving you what you expect from your playmakers. But that's only part of the story. Now, now when they get back, then sure, that's going to help the Rockets offensively. But then how do you go from just trying to grind by to actually get back to that dominant form that you were in a year ago. That's what we finally saw tonight from the Rockets, up by 22 points at the half, scoring over 100 points through the first three quarters, but also defending pretty well. Pacers scored 31 points in the first quarter, but just 72 points for the remainder of the game, barely broke 100, so now the Rockets have held opponents to 103 or lower in five consecutive games, which is pretty damn good in today's NBA, where scoring is up all over the place. And that's where Gary Clark can give you some of that dimension that Trevor Ariza and Luke Bamute gave you. That's that steadiness on the defensive end, that reliability that it's not that he's going to all of a sudden be a key difference maker on the offensive end of the floor, but that trust defensively. And to some extent, when you don't trust yourself defensively and you get frustrated that into the court, then yeah, maybe there is a trickle down effect, a spiraling, if you will, to what happens on the subsequent offensive possession. Sometimes that can lead the other team to get on a run or you to go on sort of a negative spell that leads the other team to a run, whatever it may be. But generally speaking, it's a steadying presence for Gary Clark. I'm not going to say with the sample this small that the Rockets should insert him into the starting lineup on Tuesday. I think it's too soon for that. They'll play it out the way it is for at least another week or two. But if it continues, it's not just about Gary Clark replacing Carmelo Anthony in the Rockets' rotation and taking some of his minutes. He's outplaying Gerald Green, who has been just not nearly as good enough as a shooter to offset his other liabilities. He's outplaying James Ennis. Right now, uh, the Rockets' offense hums and their defense as well when Gary Clark is out there. Some of their best lineups, even though he's a rookie, have been with Gary Clark out there. I think Mike D'Antoni is very aware of that. That's why they're having these tough conversations with Carmelo Anthony, because they do have that much trust in Gary Clark. And even though you know 6 points, 8 rebounds and 33 minutes, 2 of 5 shooting, a stat line doesn't say anything to make you write home about well, if you watch the game, you know the plus 16 doesn't lie. He was impactful. By the way, Isaiah Hartenstein, four points, but he was plus 16 in his 13 minutes as well. He gave the Rockets a much-needed dose of energy. He seemed much more in control, zero turnovers, which was a step in the right direction. So another rookie in Hartenstein that also showed some signs, but far away, story for the Rockets tonight and early in this season. We've talked a lot about guys disappointing. Well, I don't think, even after a strong preseason, the Rockets expected what they've gotten from Gary Clark, but... Ultimately, right now, it seems they have certainly a rotation player and maybe even down the road, a starting quality player. I wouldn't go there just yet. I don't think the Rockets are going to overreact just a few strong games for a rookie, especially given how tough the competition is, the Nuggets and the Warriors this week. I don't think they want to throw him in immediately to that. But is it something to monitor in the weeks ahead? Sure. If this level of play continues from Gary Clark, it's not just a formality of which it is, that he's going to get his contract converted to a regular deal. But beyond that, it might be a formality of when he gets inserted into this starting lineup at the three spot. Because when it comes to replacing Trevor Riza and Luke Bamute in terms of the steadiness of their contributions and the trust for the Rockets on the defensive end of the floor, Gary Clark, of all the wings we've seen so far, is the guy that's closest to replicating that formula that made the Rockets so lethal in their 65-win season a year ago and what had them really a hamstring away from winning the whole enchilada before everything that happened at the end of the Western Conference Finals Game 5. Now, That certainly feels like an overstatement for an undrafted rookie, and it's possible like all rookies. If you had even asked me a week ago, would Gary Clark look like a guy that's poised for your playoff rotation, I would have been hesitant to buy in, but... He continues to get more minutes, and even against quality teams, the Thunder, the Spurs, the Pacers, these are all playoff contenders, and he continues to not just play well, he continues to actually improve from game to game. And so, while there's a long way to go, it's hard not to be really optimistic from what you're seeing right now with Gary Clark, and of course, that level of optimism is unfortunately also leading to this awkward situation that the Rockets now find themselves in with Carmelo Anthony. Now, to finish up the program, I want to discuss what's new with Carmelo. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this because we had a Carmelo segment and Sunday morning show. So if you want to go into what I really think is going on, then please check, that out, check out that episode if you have not yet. Generally, what's new Sunday afternoon was the meeting that we got in the Houston media with Daryl Morey. And the meeting is news in and of itself because there was no required availability. So Daryl making himself available to the media at four o'clock, two hours before Sunday's six PM tip and the 115-103 win, the Rockets head over the pacers, that's news in and of itself. Now, maybe it's because when Mike D'Antoni was asked after Saturday night's game about the reports, first nationally, then locally, that the Rockets were having conversations with Carmelo Anthony about his role and his roster status was unclear moving forward. The Rockets asked Mike D'Antoni, and D'Antoni basically said, you'd have to ask Daryl, because I'm pretty confident Mike D'Antoni isn't really heavily involved in that process. He's trying to do what he can to coach the guys that are out there. That's not really his job. So Daryl, him making himself available might have been partially related to that. But just a few minutes at three fifty-seven, right before Gerald was scheduled to address us, there was a report from Mark Stein of the New York Times on Twitter that said that Carmelo had been informed by the Rockets that his time with the team would be coming to an end. And between the timing of that tweet and Gerald being about to meet with us, even though he wasn't required to meet with us, generally speaking, when Gerald talks with us, it's to announce a transaction and go through something that's official, I was thinking going into that's media scrum, but that's when Gerald Morey would say that they had released Carmelo Anthony and then they would go into a little bit the background on the decision. That's not what happened. Morey said that they were evaluating everything. He certainly didn't commit to Carmelo staying with the team, but he also, when flat out asked about the Mark Stein report of the New York Times, he said it was inaccurate and said that at one point he went as far as to say that he expected Carmelo to rejoin the team. Now, do I take all of that at face value? No. It's very possible that some of this Daryl... On multiple times during the interview, expressed a lot of frustration that Carmelo Anthony had been made to be the fall guy by many in the media. And I largely agree with that, as I've said on this podcast, those piling on to Carmelo Anthony for the Rockets sluggish start, four and seven entering tonight's game, that's absolutely silly. I mean, blaming the eighth or ninth guy on a bench for a team going from sixty-five wins to four and seven. I mean, it's just ridiculous. That's like saying if the Astros, to start next year, are below 500 in the middle of May, and then blaming a random middle reliever. Carmelo Anthony's role is just not anywhere near enough to where he just justifies that level of blame. No, the Rockets falling off the way they have, and really the story's been offense. That's underachieved a lot more than defense when you look at the numbers, and yeah, that starts with James Harden, Chris Paul, and Eric Gordon, that's, and also injuries and suspensions to those guys, but Carmelo Anthony as far as problems go, is pretty far down the list. He also may not be a big part of the solution, especially if the Rockets are going to keep giving more minutes to Gary Clark. And ultimately, I think that's sort of the conundrum the Rockets find themselves in. If this was later in the year, then I think they would just put Carmelo on the end of the bench in that Ryan Anderson role. And you know, for months now, we've said Carmelo is the Ryan Anderson from a year ago. And in the regular season, yeah, Ryan played a lot, and Carmelo could be an upgrade on that. But as the season got to being more and more meaningful, and it got to the playoffs, there were some games where Ryan didn't play at all. Is Carmelo okay with that? Even if he's not, I think with Carmelo and the team, we'd deal with it if it were the playoffs. But if that starts happening in mid-November, then yeah, it could be a little bit awkward. And now, with Eric Gordon back, which takes up a lot, Gordon has played 30-plus minutes in both of his first two games back, and Gary Clark playing more and more minutes, then all of a sudden, those bench minutes, there's not that many to go around. Maybe you could sneak in some minutes with Carmelo Anthony at the 5, but... You know, as mentioned earlier, Isaiah Hartenstein played pretty well Sunday night, plus 16 in his 13 minutes, seemed much more in control in terms of his level of energy and his motor. But to get back to Daryl Morey's meeting with us, I don't think that Daryl would have met with us to say something that's untrue. Generally speaking, I've been doing this for a while... And as far as sports personalities, not just basketball executives that I deal with, Daryl Morey is one of the more forthright and honest, refreshingly honest, of all the executives that I have dealt with. So I don't think he would, unplanned, unscripted, do a session like this and feed us BS. I don't think that it's planned. Now, it could be, of course, that we don't have all the information yet. And right now, he's trying to buy time. And, you know, as he's buying time, of course, pushing back on the silly narrative that everything is Carmelo's fault, because I thought good for Carmelo, it's not good for the team, it's just not good for common-sense basketball discussion to have just a ridiculous narrative like that put out there by so many in the national media. So I'm selfishly glad that Daryl Morey pushed back on that just for the sake of my own Twitter feed and trying to shout down some of the nonsense that's out there. But aside from that, my sense for why Daryl did this today, it's about buying time. They had to address it in some fashion. It could be a distraction if the question was just hanging over the players in the locker room, the coach in every interview. At this point, the reason that I don't think we've gotten finality is that I don't think it's fully the Rockets' decision. If the Rockets were just going to cut Mello to move on, then I think Gerald would have taken that opportunity today. Again, the report was already out there on Twitter, and the Rockets, they've been in a funk. If they were just cutting ways with Melo, and it was that simple, why in the world would they not do the deed today? Or yesterday, when this first started coming out? Why would you drag this out for a few days? That makes no sense. If the Rockets are moving on from him no matter what, then just get it over with. There's no reason for all this drama. What makes a lot more sense to me is that the reason this is dragging out is that it is not just the Rockets' decision. I don't think they want rid of Carmelo Anthony. The, the team likes him, he's been good in the locker room, and he's been good in certain matchups. Think back to the Brooklyn and Chicago games. The Rockets are 5-7, and seven. two of their wins I don't think they get without Carmelo Anthony. He was very strong in those games, and even passable defensively. Other matchups, of course, like the Thunder and the Pelicans, the Clippers, the more athletic teams, haven't been as favorable to Melo. In my opinion, the Rockets would love to keep him in that Ryan Anderson role from late in the season and the playoffs. But what that meant, especially against the upper echelon teams, like the Warriors, who, by the way, play the Rockets on Thursday, is that the Rockets could deploy him as they see fit. And if it wasn't the matchup for Ryan, then they could not play him at all. And Ryan Ryan wasn't going to make a fuss. There wasn't going to be a storyline. You just move on to the next one. It's different with Carmelo Anthony because even if he might have a similar skill set, now he's a better scorer now than Ryan Anderson was, but generally speaking, that's probably the role that's best suited for him, especially on a contender in today's NBA. At the same time, this is a guy who is a certain Hall of Famer. Even though it's year 16, his first 15 years have largely been spent as a superstar in the NBA. So it's tough for him to transition into that role. And when you consider that he's on a minimum contract... I think the Rockets would love to keep him, but having a ninth, 10th, 11th guy on your bench that could be an upgraded version of Ryan Anderson from a year ago, is it nice? Yes, but it's not so essential that you would deal with any blowback. Because if if a guy isn't going to play on a regular basis, the worst thing that you can have is that player being a distraction. It's kind of like a backup quarterback in football. Generally speaking, some of the more controversial figures have had a hard time getting signed because if a guy's not going to play you don't necessarily want that player creating storylines. I mean, for a crossword analogy, Tim Tebow won a playoff game and yet had a tough time finding work just because of some of the, uh, the circus that comes with that. In terms of a guy that's the 10th or 11th man on your bench, if Carmelo's unhappy with that, and it's November, and this is going to go on for six months, and there's a clear exit strategy because he's on a minimum contract, you can let him go, no real hit to your books or Carmelo... He could easily hitch on with someone else this early in the year. The upside of having a better Ryan Anderson to deploy is not worth the downside. And it's also worth noting, it's not just a matter of Carmelo pouting. It's also, the Rockets are generally seen as a player-friendly organization. They care about these guys. And if Carmelo can go somewhere else and find the role that he wants for himself, then, especially because he's a very powerful figure around the league, It may be to the Rockets' interest to let him succeed, and I do think they care about him as a person, and if he'd be happier elsewhere, then that's not an irrelevant factor either. Again, if it were later in the year, I think both Carmelo and the Rockets would just be happy to sort of bide their time until the summer and reevaluate things then. But with it being so early, just mid-November, it is a time, especially with Gary Clark continuing to play so well, to hit the reset button, to think, because there's such a clear exit strategy, does this still make sense? If Carmelo has the right attitude, then yeah, I think it makes sense. Because there are way worse 9th, 10th, 11th men on benches around the NBA. He can be a real asset. The question is, is he willing to accept that? And that's what I think is going to be going on in the next couple of days. It could resolve itself tomorrow. It might take longer than that. By the way, the illness is real. i talked to people on the team. He is sick. And by the way, that performance, I think 1 of 11 on Thursday at OKC, he was playing sick for the team. Uh, the Rockets back then, especially with Eric Gordon still not playing, did not have much depth. He gutted it out, didn't play well. But yes, Carmelo is sick right now. He's listed out with an illness. That's not a lie. That's very real. But beyond that, my sense is that he's going to take a few days to feel out what's going on around the league and think about what he wants and maybe also look around the league with his agent and see if there's a situation that maybe he would get the role that he wants. And if that's the case, then maybe he goes back to the Rockets and says, hey, Let's move on. And maybe if he doesn't, then it makes it all the easier for him to accept that, hey, it's you're 16, I'm 34 years old, maybe this is the role that I have to accept, especially if I'm going to be on a contender. But ultimately, I think a lot of this is Carmelo's decision, and hopefully he takes a few days to think about it, clears his head, and makes the best decision. I hope he stays with the Rockets, he seems like a good guy, and I do think he could be an asset for them in that Ryan Anderson role. It's just, it's not going to be as many minutes, especially as a 30 per game that he was playing to start the year. Some nights might even be the occasional DNP CD. And since it's so early in the year, the Rockets have the, the chance, and Carmelo does too, to take a step back, hit the reset button, and make sure this makes sense. That's what Carmelo's doing. Hopefully he decides to return to the team. I do think that's still a possibility, despite the smoke that's out there. I think he's clearly thinking about other options, but I don't think it's done yet. Hopefully he stays, but if he goes, then that's his prerogative. And while it's a bit of a loss for the Rockets, ultimately, again, losing the 9th, 10th, 11th man on your bench, it's not really worth worrying that much about, especially given the potential downside scenario. So we'll see what happens in the days ahead. For now, I don't think he's really a part of the team uh, as far as practicing tomorrow. And even when he returns, I don't think there's a guaranteed rotation spot. So I don't think for the near-term future of the team, it's all that big of a storyline. Long-term, especially as injuries happen over the remaining 70 games of the season, could they potentially use him? Sure, but this is a chance to make sure that, that both sides are on the same page. We'll see what happens over the next few days. Hopefully he stays. If not, I wish him well, because he certainly has not been a distraction and generally is a well-liked guy and has been nothing but good in his limited time in the Houston community. So, with that, I think we can finally put a bow on this episode and this, wow, busy weekend. We had the Jimmy Butler trade, then we had the back-to-back, then we had all the Carmelo storylines. Been talking for a while, but, folks, it really has been that busy around the Houston Rockets. Hopefully, I can take a bit of a breather tomorrow, and then, of course, we'll be back Tuesday when the Rockets resume play against the Denver Nuggets. If you want more content before then, of course, real-time updates on whatever may happen with Carmelo, because I expect it to take a few days, but wouldn't shock me if anything happened tomorrow. You never know. I think, ultimately, it's more his decision than the Rockets. But if you want real-time analysis, of course, the best place to get it is on Twitter. I'm on there at Ben DuBose. The show is on there at Locked on Rockets. Also, beyond Twitter, got a Facebook account, facebook.com slash Locked on Rockets, a website, LockedOnRockets.com, email address LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. That's always you can get updates about the team. You can make suggestions for the show, inquire about how to become a potential advertiser. Pretty much anything we can do to improve this listening experience for you as a Rockets fan or even you as a human being, don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. Also, if you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please do. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, the odds are wherever you listen to your podcast. You can find this because we're part of a great network of local experts at the Locktime Podcast Network, covering not just the NBA, but the NFL, Major League Baseball, college sports, and so on and so forth. Subscribe to us, that's how you'll get episodes delivered right to you, even before I post it on Twitter, and if you'd be kind enough to leave us a five-star review, that's how we can look attractive to potential advertisers, by boosting our numbers, and make the business model work here at Locked on Rockets, the most regular podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. Once again, the happy final from Toyota Center on Sunday evening, Rockets 115, Pacers 103. Rockets snapped their two-game slide, they've now won four of six, and improved to five and seven on the year. On that positive note, have a good start to your work week and come back soon and check out more episodes right here at Locked on Rockets, your home for daily commentary on Houston Rockets basketball.